Hello and welcome to episode 7 of our Data Centre podcast series, the series where we take a deep dive into the world of data centres, providing insight on the rapidly growing industry that we should all be aware of as data centres become increasingly central to the way in which the world works. I'm Charlie Goodwin, an associate in the Simmons Insurance and Construction Group, and joining me in this episode are my colleagues, Emily Monasteriotis, partner and head of dispute resolution in London, Steve Kay, managing associate in the Insurance and Construction Group, and Tom Bowen, supervising associate in the Contentious Regulatory, Crime and Competition team. Like in any industry from construction through to operation, disputes can and do frequently occur in the data centre sector. And given the importance of data centres to business, commercial and everyday life, disputes can often be for significant amounts. Now, you may remember the famous outage in October 2021, which took down Facebook, Instagram, Facebook Messenger and WhatsApp for six hours. Now, this was due to disconnection of data centres, causing widespread disruption, not only to many users, but also caused interruption to many businesses as well. It has been reported that Facebook lost close to $60 million in advertising revenue alone during those six hours in which their data centres were disconnected, while the shares in the company dropped by nearly 5%. When such high figures are at stake, there is generally a greater propensity to engage in a dispute. Therefore, prudent players within the industry need to be alive to these potential risks and ways of managing and mitigating them. In this episode, we're going to view data centres through the prism of disputes, considering some of the possible areas in which disputes can arise in this field and looking at effective ways to mitigate those risks. This episode will be particularly useful for construction professionals, developers, lenders, investors, insurers, and end users alike. Emily, Steve, thanks for joining this episode. Now, Emily, whilst most people will know that two disputes are never the same, what would you say are the common themes of commercial disputes that arise concerning data centres? I mean, that really depends on the life stage of a data centre. So at the construction stage, delay to completion, defective works and arguments over the testing and commissioning process, and I think are common disputes that arise, When such big sums are at stake, um, a dispute on a construction project can very quickly escalate into a problem that could cost the business not only millions in losses arising from the late delivery of a project and the delay in putting these assets to their intended use, but also really an exposure to the other party in a dispute and I'm sure even less appealing million in legal fees. So that was a construction stage, but moving on to the operation stage, given the importance of data centres and cloud storage to the modern economy, disputes most commonly emerge whether there's been a loss or disruption due to issues surrounding the functioning of data centres. Now, in that scenario, operators can be exposed to claims from businesses, suppliers and customers who are reliant upon the operation of data centres. Um, Disputes can also relate to power, such as how usage is priced or how it is charged to the customer, as well as breaches of ESG permits or regulations. Now, these are all areas that the market will need to be particularly considerate of and be alive to managing such risk. And indeed, given that data storage and use is becoming increasingly central to our lives and the demand for data center space increases, it is predictable that the frequency of such disputes will likely only increase in the future. So if we start at the inception stage of a data center, Steve, what are the types of disputes that can arise in the construction of a data center? So three common issues encountered on the construction projects for data centers that are often highly contentious are Firstly, delays to the project, 
second, the discovery of defective work, and then finally, the testing and commissioning process. So just taking each one in turn, in terms of delay, now most building contracts contain express provision for uh, completion of the works by a certain date. And even on the simplest construction project, it's usually one of the few things that the parties make sure to agree on during their negotiations. Now, where there is delay by either the employer or the contractor, there will be significant consequences. So, for example, where the contractor is in delay, it might be liable to the employer for delay-related damages, which are commonly known as liquidated damages. And if an employer causes the contractor to be delayed, the contractor is very likely to be awarded an extension of time and its additional costs of being prolonged on site. Now, even worse for the employer, unless it's actually the end user itself, it's likely to then be in breach of its own separate commercial agreements with the end user. And it could therefore be exposed to liquidated damages from that end as well. Now, if it's the end user, then any delay causes it a significant loss of commercial revenue from the use of, of the data center. Then in terms of defective works, it, if the executor's work is not in accordance with contract documents or the specifications incorporated into the contract, then very simply, it is defective. If an employer has not got what they paid for or they've been asked to accept an alternative, they are entitled to insist that the contractor does what it was paid to do and delivers a project um, as per the agreed specification. Now, if those defects are more than minor in nature or the quantity of minor defects or snags is so great as to prevent the employer from having effective use of the project, the employer is entitled to expect that practical completion will not be granted. And that's going to have ramifications for liquidated damages claims. And on a related note, the rectification of defective work and who pays and how much they pay is also a common source of dispute. Now, the, the testing and commissioning process is, is the third point, and, and that is a complex, um, a very complex process, especially as you get towards the end of your testing and commissioning schedule and, and you're near the integrated systems test. And there are any number of issues that could go wrong. Now, we often see disputes around the administrative side of the testing, um, especially associated with the paperwork that supports it. And it's not uncommon to see the paperwork certifying completion of testing lagging some way behind the actual testing that's being carried out. Now, in the wrong hands, that lag could result in delays to the project. And it takes close coordination between the contractor and the project manager and your independent commissioning agents to ensure that administrative lags of that nature don't lead to high-value disputes. We also commonly see disputes around the completion of both the testing and commissioning and the contractor's works generally. And to, to give you an example, so if during the integrated systems test, a fault is identified with a component somewhere in the electrical infrastructure and the leading time for a replacement component is one week, but the fault is identified, it's isolated and it's agreed upon and the system is, is satisfactorily tested otherwise regardless, should certification of the integrated systems testing be delayed by that one week until that replacement component arrives. Now, if a common sense approach is adopted, then in my view, the contractor should get a sign off for its integrated systems test without having to wait for the outstanding component. But again, in the wrong hands and with liquidated damages in, in the hundreds of thousands per day in most large data centers, a simple dispute like that could very quickly escalate. So, Emily, how can employers and contractors manage and mitigate the risks of disputes occurring on construction projects? 
Well, first, at the contract stage, the parties should consider including a toolkit of mechanism in any construction contract, which are designed to avoid and to mitigate disputes. And obviously, I appreciate that some things are unpredictable and sometimes parties behave unreasonably and mistakes are made. But the inclusion of conflict avoidance pledges, mediation or dispute protocols, escalation and negotiation provisions and incentive for adherence to dispute avoidance policies in your contract can give you the best chance of ensuring that your project doesn't get derailed by a dispute. Now, obviously, once the project is live, managing projects so as to avoid or minimise the risk of disputes arising really is crucial. Um, it goes without saying, I would hope that the earlier dispute can be addressed, the more chance you have of resolving it without escalation. And it is a consistent theme of all major forms of building contracts that notice must be given of any matter which is likely to lead to an increase in cost or time. So um, I suppose my key message is that effective communication is crucial. But the role of the project manager or the party administering the contract is also key. And a good, solid project manager is as important a tool as any other in your conflict avoidance toolkit. Um, also, good record keeping um, has to be a force of habit throughout a project. Regular in-person meetings, which are well documented and progress reports, allow all parties to be familiar with issues which are live on site and to understand the upcoming hurdles and how they can be overcome. Now, once a dispute has arisen, effectively reacting and managing such a dispute can improve your chances of being successful in that dispute. And ensuring contemporaneous records, such as meeting minutes, have made and documented correctly is um, very important. There's no single source of evidence which is more powerful, I would say, than a contemporaneous document in a dispute. And Minutes and documents like daily field or observation reports will really help show and establish what work the contractor was performing when it ran into an issue and how the parties responded to, to an issue. And I just want to kind of as a final point and um, say whilst it is common for clients to be reluctant to incur legal or expert fees when a dispute arises, particularly when a project is still teetering on the brink of profitability, there are significant benefits at all stages of a project in looking externally at an early stage. And um, not least having a fresh pair of eyes looking at the matter can offer new perspective and break any deadlocks that may have occurred. Steve, once construction on a data centre has been completed and it becomes operational, this brings new potential disputes. Now, a common theme through this series has been just how important power stability and connectivity is to a data centre. We heard in episode two about the uptime requirements of a data centre. What are the potential disputes arising with this? Okay, so by way of a, a reminder before I, I answer that, um, uptime is an industry term which measures the amount of time in a calendar year that a server stays up and running. And most data centres are designed to a specific uptime requirement. And we previously touched upon in these podcasts an uptime requirement of 99.999%. And that's known in the industry as the five nines. And what that equates to um, is, is the required uptime. And if you look at it the other way, it gives you the maximum downtime, i.e. the time that the data centre can be offline. And in, in a 12-month period, if you're operating in accordance with the five nines, the data centre can be down for 5.26 minutes. Now, where that's exceeded, 
it's likely that agreements between the provider and the end user will contain financial penalties and they can include rent reductions and exemptions from paying rent in any monthly period so where the, the maximum downtime is exceeded due to a factor outside of the operator's control for example by way of a fire or a similar disruption caused by faulty equipment a dispute may arise between the operator and or the end user and or the supplier third party the last data center co-location agreement that we worked on had financial penalties in the order of 15 percent of the monthly rent payable for the entire data center where there was a power outage of more than 26 seconds but less than two minutes so if you lose power to the data center for just for one minute it can cost hundreds of thousands of pounds now that's a significant exposure i suppose given this emily i assume it follows that more disputes occur when this happens uh, exactly uh, we touched on this in the very first episode of the series when you quantify the importance of stable power and connectivity in that context it is easy to see how disputes can arise Issues with power can also give rise to ESG disputes where data centres switch to their backup power supply and usually that's gas or diesel generators um, for a significant period, meaning that they may breach any environmental permits that are in place. Um, as discussed in the previous episode, disputes of this kind are likely to increase as more stringent obligations are placed on data centres and capacity within the grid runs out. Now, because these components store and manage business critical data and applications, data center security is paramount in data center design. Tom, another topic we've considered previously was the intersection between data centers and cybersecurity, which I presume represents another major field of potential disputes. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. Probably the biggest potential area for disputes with, with data centers is going to be fallout from any data system security breaches. Data centers are particularly vulnerable to cyber attacks where losses can arise not only from business interruption, but also from any breaches of privacy or of confidential corporate data. The ramifications of that can be severe, both reputationally and from a cost perspective, particularly when you look at it alongside the remedial costs and the compensation associated with it. Frankly, it's only likely to increase given group litigation from customers is generally on the rise. We heard previously from Tom Dryden of McGillan Partners about the importance of cybersecurity to data center operators. Tom, what can operators do to mitigate the risk of cyber attacks? The point really to emphasize is that you just need to understand your risks. If a client gives you their data, if I'm your client, if I give you my data, I expect you to be putting it in a fortress. That's what I'm paying you for. So where a data center falls to an attack, the consequences can be really severe. Probably the key cyber risks for data centers come from three sources. Denial of service attacks, ransomware, and what we call external access incidents. Denial of service attacks are the most common. Many listeners probably heard of them already, but that's where hackers attempt to bring down a system by flooding it with too much traffic. For data centers, that's a direct and immediate threat to their uptime. And it's worth noting there are quite a few high-profile examples. In June last year, network, con network congestion led to uh, Google Cloud going out for a while, and that saw at least 16 of Google's products out of action. That included the entire G Suite, included Gmail, Google Docs, Google Drive, Google Cloud, and YouTube. The second one of those risks, ransomware. 
that's a form of malware that encrypts users' information pending the payment of a ransom. That would usually be a cryptocurrency. Ransomware is currently a booming criminal industry and is probably one of our themes of the year here in the cybersecurity team. Those attacks in the UK doubled last year, and we think it's one of the most immediate threats to all businesses. A real threat to data centers and the damage can be long lasting, frankly. It can cause downtime. It can lead to the publication of confidential or personal data, which will lead to inevitable commercial and regulatory consequences. And fundamentally, it just undermines the trust your customers will have in the center. A number of attacks that have been published there was an attack on Nanya last year in South Korea that led to weeks of downtime. There was a well-publicized attack on Equinix as well in 2020. The third of those risks was external access attacks. Now, those aren't thought of as much. What I mean here is an attack through the installation of third-party remote access software. It can seem a bit mundane, but they also have the potential to be hugely damaging. The key here is preparedness and operational resilience. That's how you minimize your losses. It's crucial that organizations have standardized and embedded instant response plans. Those need to be in place in advance. You can't extemporize when this happens. You've got to do it quickly. In the event you do experience a cyber incident, what you need to do will ultimately depend on the circumstances, so it's difficult to give generalized advice. Particularly important is whether or not there's going to be a personal data breach because that drives a lot of the legal obligations. At a very high level, the immediate steps you need to take to avoid worsening your position are first, activate the response team and the response plan that you've prepared in advance. And those need to be well prepared and they need to be well practiced. The second thing you need to do is get forensic specialists in to do a factual assessment of what the damage is, including whether any personal data was compromised, and then begin to remedy the breach. And the third thing, and this largely, well, this in large part will flow from whether there's personal data involved, but also flow from your contracts. You need to work out what notifications you need to make. Those can be regulatory, those can be to your commercial counterparties, those can be to your insurers. It's worth noting here that we have data breach specialists in our firm. I'm one of them who've prepared a data breach framework, and that's available on the podcast landing page. That is it for this episode of our Data Centre podcast series. My thanks to Emily, Tom and Steve for joining me. My thanks to you for listening. Next time, in our final episode of our Data Centre podcast series, we look to the future and what lies ahead for the data centre industry and discuss predictions for the next five to ten years for the world of data centres. Until then, goodbye.